Hi, I'm Sophia Amoruso, founder and CEO of Girlboss, and this is Girlboss Radio, the show for and about ambitious women exploring the wins, losses, and insights learned on the winding road to success. A few weeks ago, I caught up with Anna Brozik, the CEO of Big Cartel. Big Cartel is a mission-based business that supports artists and creators and helps them find a marketplace for their goods. Anna's been with the company for almost nine years, and in that time, she's gone from community coordinator to operations director and now CEO, truly rising through the ranks. Before that, she owned an indie record store in Salt Lake City, further enriching her perspective and professional know-how. On today's episode, Anna shares what qualities allowed her to rise to the top at Big Cartel. She also explains how she's become a more transparent leader and what artists can do to pivot and market themselves right now. It's a great conversation, so let's get to it. Anna, first off, thank you so much for joining me on Girlboss Radio today. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. And how are you doing in the midst of a global pandemic? (laughs) Um, I'm as good as I can be, which says a lot. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm grateful. Um, I'm also losing my mind a little bit and stressed and anxious, but I'm, I'm overall very grateful for all the good things I've got going. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's yeah, it's like Groundhog Day. And so I just want to kind of at the top of this you know, you're the CEO of Big Cartel, and you've been with the company and grown with the company for about nine years now. Yeah, going Um, on nine. Yeah, I'd love to hear just a little bit about Big Cartel and what it is that you guys do. Totally. Um, Big Cartel makes it easy for artists to sell their work online. Um, We do that through their own online storefront. So as opposed to something like Etsy, where you get this great marketplace, um, big cartel is much more your own online storefront. So you're not posted up next to other people selling similar items. Um, and we, our goal is really just to make it as simple as possible so that creators can get back to doing the fun stuff, which is actually creating and not worrying about web development or the ins and outs of learning how to price things or ship things, all of the sort of, uh, mundane parts of running an online business. The websites are beautiful. What I've seen from, you know, what I've, the, my limited kind of time I've spent, just the examples of artists um, that have used your site are so gorgeous. Thank you. Um, I, we take a lot of pride in that. We try to make it really beautiful for people. How big is the team? There are 30, oh, well, we were 38, but we actually just brought on three new support people. So I guess that takes us to 41. Wow. Is that the largest you guys have ever been? It is. Is this pandemic good for business right now? It's weird for business. (laughs) Yeah. We've uh, we've seen a ton of growth, but we are one of the very few platforms, I think, that offers a totally free plan. And so most of our growth is happening there. Um, so it's good for business in that sense. Like we are being exposed to more people. We are definitely getting more people signing up, more people selling things. Um, but it's not necessarily affecting our bottom line dramatically. But that's good too because we're not losing, we're not bleeding money right now either. 
That's great. Cause I think yeah. a lot of us are. I know. I know. And a lot of artists are, and I've actually had a lot of artists reach out to me over Instagram DM over the last few days saying galleries are closed. My exhibition got canceled. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of challenges, you know, people, you know, they're saying that people don't really need art right now, which I, yeah. I disagree with, but I, you know, people are also uh, buying commodities, even though they're not available right now. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, mindful of our, of our money. Um, and so you lead a company of 41 people, uh, and obviously this is like a first for everybody. And I know <laughs> yeah. your team has worked primarily remotely, which is super interesting, uh, prior to the pandemic. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Ever since I started, you know, almost nine years ago, we've always been remote. And I'm sure the tools have changed. The, you know, the ability to collaborate with remote teams is, you know, I think there might have been Basecamp and nothing else back then. Uh, I don't really, <laughs> maybe not That's even true. Basecamp. Um, um, there was Basecamp. Yeah. We used their like campfire chat tool back in the day. <laughs> what tools are you using now? Well, we're still using Basecamp. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, we actually, uh, we when I started, we were using Basecamp and we left um, and we used a variety of different sort of like piecemeal things um, to, to do our collaborating and to store our information. Um, and then, gosh, was it maybe two years ago, Basecamp uh, launched their third version, Basecamp 3, and it sort of brought all of these pieces under one umbrella. Um, and so we ended up switching back and we ended up, you know, getting rid of a lot of these other tools that, you know, forced us to say like, okay, you use this app for this, you use this app for that to upload this, you put it here. And now we just do almost everything just in Basecamp. We also use Slack, but that's for more like informal chatting, um, anything that's work or project related goes into a specific base camp. Have you, I mean, I think it's important with Slack and this is something we've had to do because it's easy for people to write essays in Slack as if they're emails. <laughs> Have yeah. you established with your team, this is what Slack is for and this is what Slack is not for. Cause I think that's important. We absolutely did, but it took trial and error for sure. Um, it was really when we decided to switch to Basecamp 3 and sort of go all in on that, that we decided we also needed to clearly define the parameters around like what tools are used for what and how we want, what the best practices are for those um, in the way that Big Cartel works specifically. So yeah, Slack is very much like this is when you would DM somebody. Um, this is when you ask questions in a public channel. And for the most part, I would say it's for pretty casual conversations. We do a lot of our like socializing there. So we have music channels, film channels, um, self-care channels, baby channels, all of the things um, for us to stay connected culturally with one another. A big one for us right now is a recipe channel. It was just Ooh, that's a good one. I don't so think many that. recipes going back and forth and people are sharing stuff that other team members are like, I joined this Instagram live with a chef every single night. And <laughs> thank you so much for this link. It's, it's really cool. Um, I need to add so, that. I'm writing it down. So you're now the CEO of a company that is, you know, like so many of us going through 
the toughest time that are, I mean, in probably any of our uh, lives in the last century or anybody who's alive by now has has dealt with, how are you, how is your leadership perspective or style changed in the midst of this pandemic? I think that I've, I've taken a really cautious approach to, to leading and that I want to, I want to set the tone. And I think that that's the most important thing I can do right now. It's, it's a weird time for me as a CEO of a software company. Traditionally, my job is to be, you know, three, four, 10 steps ahead. I'm looking at, you know, the next quarter, I'm looking at the next year, I'm looking at the next five years. And right now I can't really do any of that. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Um, so I've, I've, realigned like what my day-to-day looks like. And it's really about sort of being the pilot during a turbulent flight. I don't know what's happening. I'm a little freaked out by it too. But what I want to do is have a safe environment for my team where they feel um, that they can come in and be productive and even do good, helpful work for the artists that we serve, but without being an added stressor and without being a sense of worry um, or a place of worry for my team. Um, so that's really the approach I've taken over the last couple of weeks is how do I how do I be a steady leader right now and give them a sense of stability in a world where it feels like things are crumbling all around us. And one of the toughest questions we get as leaders is, are we going to be laid off? Has that question <laughs> crossed your desk? It hasn't yet. Um, we share our financials with our team openly. Um, so they all have access to, we use bare metrics for this. They can all log into bare metrics and see, you know, what our signups are, what our, uh, monthly recurring revenue is. They can look at all of that at any time. And I think that's helpful for them, right? Like if they're starting to feel anxious about it, they have access to the same information I do as far as numbers go. Um, but I also, you know, when we, when all of this happened, I did address the team and was very clear, like, look, right now we're healthy and we haven't seen anything that indicates that we need to be terribly worried right now. I mean, everyone should have a a healthy dose of fear, even if your business is doing well right now. Um, but, but overall, we're in a good position. And I promised them transparency and that if that changes, you know, they'll they'll know as soon as I do. And for those people who have never run companies that work from home, work remotely, do you have any advice for them in terms of, you know, making that switch to to leading teams from home? Like what have you learned over the course of now nine years working remotely that we can learn from? Sure. I think the first thing I want to say to anybody who's new to this is that this isn't normal. So um, this is not what remote working is normally like at all. This is pandemic working. Um, My team has kids at home. You know, they've got parents that are, you know, that they're worried about. so I've, I've given my team permission to, to not be at 100%. I'm not at 100. I'm coming to work maybe 60%. Um, and, and I don't expect any more from the team either. And so I would say right now, working remotely during this pandemic, the most important thing we can do as leaders is provide transparency 
about our expectations. If you do expect your team to be at a certain level or to be um, have a certain productivity level, like make that incredibly clear so that there there isn't confusion or worry around that. And then the second thing that I've learned that works, especially in a pandemic, but throughout remote work is to be a really strong and even over communicator. Um, A lot of that means a lot of writing, uh, because for us, we work a lot of asynchronously, you know, we we have people across different time zones. And so we can't all be in the same call every Monday together. So our communication happens a lot through the written word. And so practicing your written communication, and being a very clear and over communicator to your team is going to provide them with, you know, a sense of, of trust, and it gives you the opportunity to be a transparent leader. Okay, time for a quick break from today's conversation. If you could use a break from cooking after a few months in quarantine, or at the very least have fewer dishes to wash, we've got a little treat for you. Cauliflower, the brand behind America's number one cauliflower crust pizza, is offering Girl Boss Radio listeners the opportunity to try their delicious, accessible, and convenient meals for free. They're actually good-for-you products like all-natural chicken tenders, sweet potato toast, and cauliflower crust pizza are available in frozen food aisles everywhere and are ready to eat in minutes. For a free cauliflower product, text BOSS to 216-88. Now, let's get back to the show. And one thing you've mentioned is using this crisis as an opportunity to be of service, which I think for any of us that can afford that or contribute to, you know, for you, it's artists and musicians and is musicians accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So for you, it's artists and musicians and painters and photographers and these people whose work is sometimes exhibited uh, in the real world, and who you know who rely on not just big cartel, but also are having challenges getting their work out into the world and sharing it. So you pledged fifty thousand dollars in cash to help artists in need, and then that grew to a hundred and twenty thousand dollars. With it did, that's amazing, yeah. and that was both from your team members and donors. Yes. So Big Cartel, we pledged 50 of our own money, like right out the gate. We were like, what's our cash in the bank? What can we afford? And then what do we do with it? Do we give it to food banks? Do we give it to other nonprofit orgs that are helping artists? And overwhelmingly, my team, my leadership team, we all felt like the thing that people need right now is just cash in the bank. Like if you're an artist and you know you're you're selling your prints online, but your main source of income is maybe being a barista or a server at a high-end restaurant, and that's gone, that's out from under you, and you don't have much in the way of savings. Um, we wanted to be able to help those people. We felt like these people have been using Big Cartel. They've invested in us. They're they are why we have jobs and why we continue to work. Um, the very least we can do is put a little cash in their pockets and, and help them get food on the table. So we came up with this 50,000 that we could afford. Um, almost immediately, we had a couple of people reach out and, and double that for us, which was amazing and just brought tears to my eyes. And then our own team had said, can we contribute? Um, we want to we want to give money to this fund, and Big Cartel does a a charitable match as part of our benefits. So we'd already had this sort of charitable match money 
set aside in our budget. And so we told the team, yeah, if you want to contribute to this fund, um, we'll match that as well. And so the team donated $10,750. And that brought our total up to just over 120,000. And we've, we've, prioritized all of the applications um, based on people who expressed they had a food need. I felt like food was sort of, it seemed like the most urgent need that we could realistically address and make a dent in. Sending someone a hundred dollars for groceries can, is very real. You can buy a decent amount of groceries, generally speaking for a hundred bucks. And, um, and that allowed us to reach now, you know, over 1200 people. That's incredible. So how can artists who are struggling financially access this money? Um, well, the money has gone. <laughs> it's been okay, distributed. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, we got, yeah, we had 12,000 people apply for the funds in just a couple of hours, which was overwhelming for us. We sort of anticipated a lot of people would apply, but not so quickly. It was, you know, it, it shook us a little bit. And so we we shut down the applications just for our own ability to manage it. Um, and that's when we made the decision to prioritize the food needs because there were so many of those. And and then we just started sending the money out as quickly as we could get it into our bank account. We sent it out to people's um, PayPal accounts. Port, what can artists do right now to pivot their businesses or services or market themselves during this time? I don't know that there's a clear cut answer there. You know, like you had mentioned before, this is new to everybody. So the game is, is really changed. What worked before may not work again or may not work right now. Um, so I think the best thing for people to do, if you're an artist and you're, you're looking to make an extra income is to um, be mindful of your own expenses as you do that. Be mindful of, are you choosing to spend advertising money right now? Or does it make sense to move strictly to social media or email lists in order to reach new people or reach your existing customer base? Um, if you're able to, offering discounts is a great solution right now. Uh, everybody, including the artists, are, are tightening our purse strings a little bit. And so being able to offer your goods at a slightly discounted rate without, you know, um, cutting too much into your revenue would certainly be something that would help drive sales. Um, and then I think just right now being authentic about where you're at and how much support would mean to you and asking people to tell their friends and share when they're able is certainly a great way to get the word out. You know, I think right now people are more interested than ever in supporting artists and making sure that their favorites aren't suffering. And so even if someone isn't able to buy something right now, just genuinely asking your fan base um, to share your work and tag you in it um, can be the thing that drives your next sale to a new customer, a new client. And, and that can be one good way to continue growing during all of this. And so I want to just talk about growth, but I want to talk about your career growth because it's incredibly impressive. Thank you. Uh, I, I like to start at the beginning of everyone's careers because we all have a start <laughs> or some crappy job uh, that we had before, you know, we called it a career. What was your first job? 
My first job was in the restaurant industry. I was a hostess slash server at various restaurants. Um, but the one I spent the most time at was actually a Bennigan's of all places. They don't, they don't have them anymore, but it's super classy. <laughs> what is it like a, is it like an olive garden or something? Yes. It was like an Irish pub Applebee's. Um, yeah. They used to be just like freeway, roadside, you know, like restaurants. It was one of those, um, what's that office space maybe with like all of the bling. Um, that was, that was the Bennigan's vibe. Amazing. Flair. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> was there anything you learned from that experience that you still use today? Um, yeah, I would say so. I grew up in a suburb of Phoenix, Arizona, and it was, you know, fairly conservative and small. And so I think leaving there and going into the restaurant industry just really exposed me to a whole different world of people, whether it was like the people I worked with or people I was waiting tables on. Um, And it really opened my eyes to just like how diverse the world is. And I really credit my time in the restaurants to, to really helping to broaden my mind and, and open my eyes. Um, and yeah, so I think I use that all the time now. It's pretty, pretty great lesson to take away from restaurants. And then before Big Cartel, you owned a record store. I did. Yeah. My husband and I owned an independent record shop in Salt Lake City for about six years. What are you listening to right now? Um, right now, well, I've been listening to a lot of John Prine because rest in peace, we just lost him to the coronavirus. Um, and so that's been that's been in heavy rotation. There's a band out of LA called Supermoon, um, and they just released a record during the pink moon we just had, the pink supermoon we just had, um, called Half Country. And I've been loving that. It's um, Jake Bellows, who isn't from the band Neva DeNova, if some people might be familiar with, and Morgan Nagler, who's from the band Whispertown 2000. Um, they both, it's their, it's their side project together, and it's quite lovely. So I've been listening to that quite a bit since it came out as well. And so now you're the, the CEO of Big Cartel, but you're not the founder. It's not like a founder CEO situation. You started on the community team. Was that, did that kind of mean customer support? What did that mean? Uh, that was their version of marketing. Um, so yeah, there was, we had like a marketing director and I was the second or the first person hired to his team. So I sort of helped run all of our little marketing projects that we would do. And somewhere along the way, we stopped calling it marketing and started calling it community. Um, Yeah, I did that for a couple of years at Big Cartel um, and then was asked uh, if I wanted to be the support director, the customer support director. So I took uh, that role on for a couple of years. Um, became the operations director after that, was, which is sort of the equivalent of a COO. Um, and I did that for three years before Matt and Eric, our co-founders, asked me to take over as the CEO. Um, did you ever think you'd be a CEO? No, absolutely not. We, there's, 
there were our co-founders and they were very involved in the day-to-day operations of the business. And they're young. Nobody really ever expected them, I think, to retire or try to step away. Um, so, you know, once every at every stage of my career at Big Cartel, it all felt so good. And I was like, this is as good as it gets. I'm on the marketing team. And then it was like, oh, I'm in leadership. This is as good as it gets. And so it was really surprising to me when they asked me to be the CEO. Um, But I was, I was up for the challenge. I was super grateful that they and honored that they trusted me with, you know, this, this incredible business that they built. Having run my own record store, I know how hard that is to let something so personal go. And even as the record store owner, when we were looking to close it, we, we thought about selling it. We thought about just selling the name of it. And we ended up not doing either of those things because it was so personal to us. Um, so I know that the, the handing over the keys to their company was not an easy thing for them to do. And I'm really honored that they trusted me with that. And it's incredible. You know, growth from within a company is so important, but it's sometimes sometimes challenging because there's step change in businesses when you grow. People bring in middle management, they bring in C level people, and then the, those in the company who you know busted their asses to to build the thing are now working for people who don't really even understand the business. Uh, so you like really rose through the ranks. Um, what qualities do you think you possess that allowed you to do that? And for those people that you manage, how are you nurturing them to do the same? Absolutely. I think the first thing that really mattered to Matt and Eric was how much I cared about the business on a personal level. Um, Having seen that, you know, through the record store, I, I loved to treat Big Cartel as if it was my own, even when it wasn't. It mattered that much to me because of what we did. I loved the artists that we were serving, and it felt so important that we get it right, whether it was the product or decisions on how we ran the company. All of that stuff really mattered deeply to me. And I think that level of care was, is the primary reason I'm in the position I'm in right now. Um, the other thing that I think they really valued and I think that helped me rise through the ranks was candor. Um, I have just been brutally honest with them, even when I disagreed wholeheartedly with decisions that they were making. Um, I would bring it up and we would have discussions about it and we would dig in and and try and find the right answer, or the right path forward. And I wasn't always correct, but sometimes I was. And me being able to push back on those things um, really helped solidify the path that I was on. That I was I was able to be trusted, and that I had the right um, intentions and ethos when it came to leading Big Cartel forward. Um, and really, to to enable my current team to do that, it's really about building that environment of trust and letting them know that you are open to and welcoming and desiring that level of candor and that level of pushback. I try to frame everything that I say, like I'm open to other opinions. Like I want to hear what, what you're thinking. Like these are my thoughts, but I'm not necessarily right. I want to hear where you think I'm wrong or where you think we can do better. Um, and when you actually listen to people and heed their feedback and advice and insight, um, that just breeds 
further trust and it makes it easier for them to come to you and be honest and candid next time. And, you know, I think one of the biggest red flags for me having hired leaders is that it's when they hire weak people under them or people that don't challenge them, it's clear that they're like kind of power hungry or going for a power yeah. play. They don't want to be challenged by people under them who have differing opinions. So paying people to agree with you is just the last thing you want to do as a leader, because then it's like the emperor's new clothes, right? Yeah, it's that authoritarian regime. <laughs> and so what was your pers- Did you have a different perception of a CEO's role before you took that position? What did you think it was like? I think so. It was, it's definitely been different. Um, and I think part of that is because our CEO before me, Matt was also sort of our head of product. He was really driving product heavy decisions and directions. And I am not a product person by trade. And so, you know, I have a product director who does that. Um, and so it was, it was my experience of watching him do it was very different from my own experience just because we have different skill sets. Um, I was surprised at how frequently throughout my day, I'm just in my own head. Um, I went from this operations role where I felt like I was very to-do list oriented. I had endless to-do lists, whether it was legal or financial or, you know, operational or HR, there were just to-do lists. And I loved that. I thrived in that. And it was a big change to sort of switch over and be in this high level, big picture space most of the time where I'm um, strategizing sort of out ahead of my team so that I know what the best path is to bring my team into. Um, And it gets a little bit weirdly lonely. Um, And when it starts to feel that way, I start to try and like rein it in and and bring my team in sooner rather than later. Um, But I think that's the biggest shift for me is just sort of switching from this to-do list sort of lifestyle to this big picture in my own head lifestyle. It's weird, but I like it. It's really fun. You're looking so many steps ahead. How are you forecasting the future of the business? Because it is a a bit of a competitive space. There are bigger players who allow other people to build their websites and sell online. You're very focused on artists, but how how do you look ahead? What trends, where do you find those trends? How do you make those decisions? Yeah, I make a lot of the decisions based on you know, feedback and conversations that we're having with the artists that are using our platform. I've done, you know, we've had our team do interviews with users. I've done them myself. I live in a pretty creative world where I'm in contact with a lot of people just from my record store days who are, you know, musicians and artists by trade. And so just even through my casual relationships and friendships with those people, I can sort of have a good idea on what uh, their needs are or what they're looking for. Um, But I would say most of it comes just directly from our own customers. We look a lot at what they're asking our customer support team and what those conversations look like to really help drive um, and and help sort of narrow down, like, what are the needs that they have that they might not even realize they have 
you know, they're asking for something very specific, but that's to solve a much larger problem. So I try to identify what that larger problem is and how Big Cartel can be a source of help for that in particular. And listening to your customers is so important. And that's a little bit of like a bottoms up, you know, way of strategizing, like, let's listen, let's build around people's needs. And this is, you know, my role, you know, your role can be shaped by what it is that you hear from people and what it is that they need. But then at the same time as a CEO, right, there's a learning curve. There are things that (laughs) you had spent time doing and were really good at and understood in a more up an operational kind of day-to-day executional role and then finances come into play. And then, (laughs) you know, all these things that you'd never thought about or spent time on, how have you augmented what it is that you already knew to learn what it is that you've needed to know as a CEO? Did you take classes? Like what's guided you? How have you kind of leveled up your knowledge uh, that, that aids you in the CEO role? I've really leaned on other people. Um, I'm sure you've heard this before, but it's, you know, you always hire people who are smarter than you. And I think I've 100% built a team around me that is smarter than me. And so I rely a lot on the individuals on my leadership team and their expertise. And, you know, I see my role as sort of helping to piece their knowledge together to sort of weave it together across the whole company. Um, so, so it isn't so much about me figuring out the finance on my own so much as it's hiring the right person who can, uh, who understands big cartel, who's a great communicator and can, can give me the right information. And then I connect those dots to product and I connect those dots to marketing and so forth. All right, time for a quick break. If you've been following Girl Boss Radio this season, then you probably already know we've talked about how fashion still has a very long way to go before it's a truly inclusive industry. For instance, we know the runways usually don't reflect the kind of diversity that actually exists in this world. And when it comes to a fashion brand that designs for women of all sizes, well, we know that the options are super limited. But it doesn't have to be that way. And that's why I want to talk about Good American. Good American is a fashion brand founded by Emma Greed and Khloe Kardashian. And unlike other companies that like to pay lip service to the words diversity and inclusion, Good American makes these two things a core part of its mission. In fact, Good American is so committed to providing just the right fit that they designed an entirely new size based on customer's feedback, and that's size 15. Not to mention, they also have a unique casting call system that helps them curate a truly diverse roster of models. To find out more and see for yourself how Good American is making clothes for all women, go to goodamerican.com. That's goodamerican.com. And I read on your LinkedIn profile, this is something that comes along with leadership roles. Increasingly, you hear industry jargon. And you have <laughs> you have a distaste for industry jargon and all the acronyms that come with, you know, that, that executives throw around to sound smart and important. Do you have some least favorite uh, jargony buzzword executive terms? <laughs> um, like ROI is so gross to me. I hate ROI. 
Um, I also, I was listening to your interview, um, with Nicole Lappin and she had mentioned like basis points at the end of her interview. And I was like, yes, I hate basis points. Like it's such a silly made up thing from, from like the finance industry just to like, I don't know why they do it. It's such a weird thing, but it does feel like such a power grab. Like if I have this insider language, then, and you don't know it, you're not a part of this. This is like exclusive. Um, so yeah, I, I immediately, if people send me really jargony emails, um, my favorite thing is to just respond and just be like, I'm sorry, I don't know what this means. Can you, you know, speak in can you clarify? Can you make it? Can you dumb it down for me? Can you make it more clear? Um, and and really like ask them, put the onus on them, so I'm not busy googling whatever acronym it is that they're throwing at me. Yeah, can you explain to me what a CTOR is, email marketing manager? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I just I've given up. <laughs> and you guys haven't taken any investment, is that right? Yes, no investment. We're super proud of that too. Have you been approached by investors? Yes, all the time. <laughs> Why have you chosen to stay independent? I think it's about control. Um, we are, and it's about sustainability, control and sustainability. The, we're in it for the long game. You know, you mentioned like competitors who, who can do the same thing we can do. Um, and that's great. And some of them are looking to like ramp up and be the next Amazon or Jeff Bezos. Um, but that's definitely not us. Like we just want to build a sustainable company that can continue to serve artists and can continue to have the team that we have and enjoy the lifestyle that we, we all get to have with flexibility and, um, enjoy coming to work. And those are the real priorities there. And so taking on investment always feels like we lose a little bit of that. Like there's now someone else to report to and someone else who's invested in your financials where profit can become the priority over people. And that's definitely not how Big Cartel operates. We put people first, whether that's our own team or the artists that we're here to serve. Um, and we don't ever want to have money sort of lead the way. It's obviously important to us in that we're, it allows us to do what we do and we need to keep it coming in, but we don't ever want it to be the driving force around decisions that we're making um, if, we can't, if we can avoid it. So keeping ourselves independent sort of allows us that freedom to, to make those decisions based on people over profit. And so you're a mom, you're working from home, uh, kids aren't going to school right now. How are you managing a typical day? Um, it is a madhouse, but I'm incredibly fortunate. My husband is definitely a 50-50 partner. He actually does all of the homeschooling for me. Um, he works remotely at home too. And he works actually for big cartel, although I did not hire him, I will say. <laughs> um, but yeah, he does all of the homeschooling with the kids and almost all of our cooking and cleaning as well. So I'm, I'm pretty fortunate in that he takes care of the heavy lifting there, but it's chaos. And, and, you know, we just, we're winging it and we tell our, our kids that, and, and really the most important thing is that they're, 
not coming out of this too traumatized. And so we're super lax and flexible too. Like if, if it doesn't feel like a worksheet day, or if this math problem isn't connecting, you know, we'll switch. We switch to watching a Nat Geo documentary or playing outside or, you know, cutting up magazines and making weird mosaic artwork. Um, all of that feels just as valuable to me as, as doing a, a math worksheet or spending an hour on Duolingo learning Spanish. So we're, we're winging it, doing the best we can, but mostly I get by because I'm fortunate enough to have a, a partner that does a lot of the heavy lifting for me. Yeah. Homeschooling is awesome. I homeschooled for half of high school because I just hated it. And I got like credit for snowboarding because that was like physical education. And, you know, for art class, I would just buy a bunch of paints from Blick and paint some weird angsty stuff. And I love it. Oh my God. It's, it's great as a, I think it's great as a kid to have that kind of freedom to learn the way that you learn and pursue your interests rather than have that necessarily chosen for you. Yeah. The Um, first week into this, we really went and like Googled a bunch of advice from homeschool parents. And that was sort of what they had said, like, look, what works in a classroom works because there's 20 kids and one teacher, you can do be much more flexible and open as a homeschool parent. Um, so yeah, we've, we've definitely adopted that approach and it's been much more fun. How are you taking care of yourself? Are you? I, I don't know that I'm doing a great job, um, but this is new to everybody. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I'm doing a terrible job either. <laughs> um, I listen, I try to listen to myself. I listen to my body when it starts to hurt or ache. Um, and I try to adjust based on that, you know, maybe it just means getting out and going for a walk or doing some stretches or a long hot bath. Um, I also really lean into my emotions. So when I start to feel the overwhelming anxiety or depression creep on, um, I, I give my, the time and space to like lie in a dark room and cry for a while and just really like feel that and feel it authentically and then work my way out of it. Um, I don't know that that's the best thing. I don't know if that's healthy, honestly, but, um, but it's working right now. Um, as we try to navigate this, this weird new world that's laid out ahead of us. Yeah. I mean, I think the healthiest thing is letting yourself be right now, right? If it means crying in a dark room, then (laughs) that's, that's what health is, which is giving us permission to do that and not beat ourselves up during a time that's beating us up, you know? Yeah. That's really it. I think it's just trying not to beat myself up over that and say like, Hey, it's okay. Like crying right now is super normal, I think. And I'm just going to let myself do it. And man, crying feels good sometimes, you know, like, especially when you're crying just because there's like an energy building up inside of you. It's just such a release. Um, so yeah, I let, I just lean into it. And then when I feel joy and happiness, you know, like I try and immediately like I'll pause work or whatever and like try and go find my kids and, um, take those high moments and really share it with them because that's, that's what matters in the long run. There's a couple questions I ask everybody that comes on girl boss radio. 
And one of these things we explore is this concept of success, which especially right now, we're all reconsidering. <laughs> what does that mean? There's The world is in an existential crisis, whether we like it or not. And success to many people can mean financial success, having a position of power. And it can also mean crying in a dark room by yourself um, <laughs> because that's what you're letting yourself do. What does success mean to you right now? Yeah, I think right now, and really for the last few years, it's I've identified it um, in my kids. I have two daughters, and I really, I want them to be proud of me, and to be proud to have me as a mom. Um, not just to say, like, my mom's a CEO, and that means power and wealth and this and that but that they can look at the decisions I made to get here, um, that I, you know, was brave. I took a step to open a business in an industry that was, you know, not super strong, but I did it because I cared and I was passionate about it. Or I was brave enough to be honest with my bosses about how I was feeling. And that allowed me the opportunity to become a CEO or even just something like our $50,000 pledge that big cartel just did. I I think they're incredibly proud that I would take the opportunity to give our cash to to people in need. And and so success to me is really just making decisions that I think that they would be proud of and that they are proud of. We have this thing called girl boss moments as well, which is just a time in your most recent history where you did something for yourself or something you were really proud of. What was your most recent girl boss moment? My most recent one definitely came with uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. It was in the Thursday morning after the, after the NBA shut down and after Tom Hanks got coronavirus and was quarantined. Um, that evening, that night, as I was reading the news, I was just like, this is, this is hitting us. This is hitting the U.S. This is real. And... I went into work the next day and talked to the leadership team. And I was like, look, I think we take the next week off. We need to just give everyone a break to adapt to what is happening right now. Schools are going to be closing. I think at that point, they had just closed down most of the Seattle area schools. I could see that that was about to be trending in other major cities, including Chicago. I had already taken my girls out of school just preemptively. Um, and, and so I, I felt like it was important for the whole company to be able to have that space to sort of adjust to a new reality, to adjust to their kids being home and to cope, whether that meant crying in a dark room or ordering more wine or, filling up your pantry because, you know, we were foreseeing that things were going to be shutting down bit by bit. Um, and I think that was an incredible girl boss moment for me like that. When my team came back, we all felt a bit refreshed and grateful. Um, and I think that was the right move. And it was a powerful move. And, and I'm glad I was able to do that. Amazing. Hey, thank you so much, Anna, for joining me on Girl Boss Radio. This has been I mean, I think your story is just one of the most relatable stories that I've you know, had on Girl Boss Radio because a lot of the founders, a lot of the CEOs that come on Girl Boss Radio either came up in the ranks and were SVPs and VPs and they're <laughs> much, you know, they're much later in their careers 
or their founders who raised a bunch of venture capital and by de facto are the CEO, but didn't necessarily, you know, there's the CEO because they started the company. And so many of us are building our careers in the middle of our careers. We're managers, right? We have a lot of women who are 28, 29, 30, like just grappling with what is that they want to do and um, wanting to move into leadership roles. And you're such an example of that. And I think it's extremely rare. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us. That's so kind of you to say. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly a pleasure to to get to chat with you. And I love everything that Girl Boss is doing. So it's an honor to be here. That's our show for today. A big thank you to Anna for coming on the podcast and sharing her story. And of course, thank you always for tuning in. Girl Boss Radio will be going on hiatus this summer, but that doesn't mean you can't catch up on the incredible episodes already live. Make sure you're subscribed so you'll never miss a new episode drop. All right, guys, that's it for now. Bye.